Hi and welcome to you wherever you're watching this. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. I hope that you are well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors at Gateway Church. We are three weeks now into a preaching series which we've called Restless. And the central question that we're trying to answer and consider through this is how, as followers of Jesus, do we find the rest and peace that he offers in our day and in our culture? And last week, Colin looked at Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus invites us to come to him to find rest for our souls and an easy yoke. And that vision of life and that invitation of Jesus is so appealing and so exciting. But it's so easy to think that Jesus' invitation is some distant and impossible dream, some blue sky thinking by Jesus, rather than an invitation to a life that is actually possible in the here and now. And why is it that there's so often such a mismatch between Jesus' life, which was marked by peace and love and joy, and our lived reality and experience? I don't know about you, but I look at Jesus, a man who, whose life was so full of true rest and true peace, and I compare that to my life, which is marked by hurry and worry and restlessness. I wake up on so many mornings with a knot in my stomach and a, a slight anxiety and worry about the day ahead. And can any of you resonate with that? Or perhaps I should rephrase the question, anybody watching this who doesn't resonate with that? Any of us not really living with hurry and worry and restlessness in our souls? And into this hurry and into this worry and anxiety, Jesus offers an invitation. He doesn't offer an escape. He doesn't offer an easy life. But what he offers is equipment and an easy yoke. But what is this equipment? And how do we cure our souls of the hurry and worry and restlessness that so pervades our souls? And what I want to do today is to look at the life of the early disciples of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look really through the lens of their life and their experiences with Jesus to see what he taught them and what he modeled, them, modeled to them and what that means for us today. Like some of you, we've recently watched a program called The Chosen, which is a kind of mini-series looking at the life of Jesus' disciples. And I found it so fascinating to, to observe and to consider what it must have been like for these first followers of Jesus. So we're today in Mark chapter 1, starting off in verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who, left, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus here encounters Simon, who goes on to become Peter, Andrew, James, and John. 
And he offers them the same invitation he would go on to offer time and time again, and the same invitation that he offers to each one of us today, follow me. Or another translation, come with me. And I love that for these four men, there was no hesitation or sense of delay in their response to Jesus. It said they immediately left their boats and followed him. But in a culture where following someone is as easy as subscribing to a YouTube channel or hitting follow on Instagram, we really need to think through what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. And the New Testament writers, the gospel writers, when they describe and use the word following Jesus, they're using a word which literally means to join the road with someone. And it's not a passive word, it's an active word. It means to participate in the way of someone. So these men literally participated and accompanied Jesus on his way. They joined the way of Jesus. And in the first century, to join the way of Jesus or to be his disciple or to apprentice under him meant seeking to dedicate your whole life to becoming like him to listen to what he said, to watch what he did, to consider his way of life, and then to seek to live exactly the same way. So let's dig right back into Mark 1 and see what Jesus teaches his disciples in these first days and weeks. Verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So first mission trip for the disciples is a trip to the synagogue where they sit under and absorb the teaching of Jesus. Can you imagine being there and hearing the revelation that he brought, the teaching that he unpacked? What an amazing moment for these disciples to hear the teaching of Jesus and to grasp it and to get hold of it and learn to absorb it and let it affect their way of life. You see, the goal of Jesus' teaching wasn't just that they would go away and jot down some ideas, but that it would change the way that they lived their lives. So they hear this amazing teaching of Jesus. And then we get apprenticeship lesson number two, where Jesus takes authority over the evil spirits. And that in itself would have absolutely blown their minds away. But remember that following the way of Jesus is to participate in his way. And not so long after this, Jesus sends off his disciples with his authority to go and do exactly the same. And don't you think that when they went off and 
cast out evil spirits and went off into the mission field, they remembered this moment of Jesus in the synagogue. You see, they were apprenticing under him, watching what he did, learning his patterns and his rhythms. Then it goes on to say in verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So from the synagogue and the crowds, he goes and enters Simon's house. And there he meets Simon's mother-in-law. And again, as Jesus' apprentices, as those who've joined the path of Jesus, they witness firsthand his power to heal the sick. They marvel at his authority over sickness. And again, we know that in days to come, they too will do the same. They will learn from their master and they will follow in his footsteps. But there's something also incredibly subtle here about what Jesus does. Jesus leaves the crowds at the synagogue. And pretty soon there's a crowd at the door bringing people to be healed. But right here, sandwiched between the pressure of the crowds at the synagogue and the crowds at the door, Jesus' compassion and attention is on the one person, Simon's mother-in-law. Don't you think that the disciples would have noticed and absorbed Jesus' attention on the one person? For that moment, he forgot about the crowds at the synagogue. He forgot about the crowds that were gathering at the door, and his attention was on the one person. Doesn't that tell you something about who Jesus is and how he lived. And the disciples must have absorbed that into their way of thinking as they learned to apprentice under Jesus. And if you go to Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see something incredibly similar happening among the early church. So Peter, he goes and preaches the good news to thousands of people, and they get saved. And there's this amazing moment of the crowds gathering around and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, And then on their way to the temple, where again there will be crowds, Peter and John encounter the lame man, the one. And they stop, and they speak to him, and they heal him. I wonder if in that moment they recounted watching Jesus and observing how he took time and attention for the person that was in front of him. Can you imagine being the disciples at this moment. It is all happening in front of their eyes. The miracles, the crowds, the teaching, it must have been amazing to have been there. And the disciples wake up the next morning and the crowds are once again gathered and they're ready for some more miracles. They're ready to hear the teaching of Jesus. But guess what? Jesus is not there. And and the scene, the disciples, where's he gone? The crowds are waiting for him. Where on earth is he? And where do they find him? In the quiet place with his father. 
They say to him this, everyone is looking for you. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of pick up this slight sense of annoyance in their tone. I mean, come on, Jesus, everyone's waiting for you. And here you are praying with the Father. And Jesus responds to them this, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. Yes, in this moment, Jesus is teaching them that the gospel must go on to other places. And he'll keep on stretching their minds of how far the gospel has to go until they get the fact that it's for the ends of the earth. But in the midst of the gathering crowds and a full schedule, he models to them a whole new way of living. And at the very center of this way of life is Jesus being alone with his father to pray. And I'm sure they don't grasp this straight away, and neither will each of us. But Mark chapter 1, as we see the disciples apprenticing under Jesus, and for the next three years, they sat under his teaching for hours, learning his way and putting it into practice. They learn and use the authority that Jesus had. They grasp the message of salvation that was to go to the ends of the earth, and they watched and they copied his lifestyle, his habits, and his rhythms of life. And Jesus calls us to do the same today, to sit under his teaching, to grasp the message of salvation and the gospel that's to go to the ends of the earth, but also to copy and, mod and live after his way of life. That's the invitation of Jesus. Eugene Peterson, who is a 20th century spiritual giant in the Western world, wrote this, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. Or to put it another way, taking his life and his teaching and marrying them together is the key to the easy yoke that Jesus lived in and invites us to join into. He goes on to say this, though, as a warning for us in the church. But the Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians with whom I have worked with for 50 years. Wow. Something is out of kilter, he says. Something is out of balance. You see, the Jesus truth is so important because Jesus says this, doesn't he? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need robust theology. We need to wrestle with scripture. We need to learn what it looks like to apply it in our lives. But there is a danger that we have underplayed what it means as followers of Jesus to adopt his way of life. You see, when we see Jesus' lifestyle in Scripture, when you see that he spent time with his Father, when you see how he lived in true rest, when you see how he spent unhurried time with his apprentices and unhurried time with the one like Simon's mother-in-law, when we see how he loved and had compassion on the hurting, the broken, and the vulnerable, it should make us ask this question, is that how I 
live. As John Mark Comer puts it in the book we've been recommending, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, if you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt his lifestyle. If you want the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt his lifestyle. Friends, this has deeply provoked me and challenged my way of life. Do you know, I want the life of Jesus. I want a life that is free from hurry and worry and restlessness. But am I willing to use the equipment that he has offered us? Am I willing to adopt his teaching and his way of life? You see, it's a bit like sitting on a couch and saying, I really want to run a marathon, but then doing nothing about it. Friends, you and I know that no one becomes a marathon runner without adopting the habits and the practices and the lifestyle of a runner. Without that, you are never going to run a marathon. And it's so true about our walk with Jesus. If you want the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt his lifestyle. And in the coming weeks, we're going to dig deeper into some specifics about how Jesus lived that really confront the hurry and worry that marks life in the Western world. But the reality is, for each of us, to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus will mean some radical changes to the priorities, time, and attention we give. It will be costly. Some ways of living need to be confronted and laid down. The call of Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And that in the laying down of certain ways of living, in the dying to ourselves, we actually find true life, true rest, and we gain far more than we ever lose. And the reality is, we have to be deliberate. We need to observe and copy the habits and disciplines and rhythms that Jesus adopted. We need to think about how Jesus lived and then say, how can I live like that in my life? And I want to issue a challenge and a call to each of us this week. I want to encourage you and challenge you to look at your lifestyle. That is the habits and the patterns that make up your daily life. And consider how you can make one practical change that will align your life more closely to the lifestyle of Jesus. Start with one practical change. I've done this in my own life in the past couple of weeks. I have put a time limit on the amount of time that I can go on social media on my phone. So after a certain amount of time every day, it cuts off. I can ignore it, but I'm choosing not to. Why that for me? Because the more time I spend on social media, the more distracted I become, the more anxious I become, and the more I play the horrible comparison game of comparing my life and my ministry to others and it robs me of peace. It robs me of the kind of life that Jesus invites us to live. Back to the question I posed right at the beginning. What is the equipment that Jesus offers? How 
can we cure our souls of hurry, worry, and restlessness? I'm going to finish with this quote. John Mark Comer writes this beautifully. Jesus set the example of a whole new way to carry life. Then he turned around and said, if you're tired of the way you've been doing it and want rest for your souls, then come, take up the easy yoke and copy the details of my life. Are you ready to copy the details of his life? Are you ready to live as Jesus lived, to take his life and his teaching and adopt them fully in your own life here and now? Friends, let's pray together. Maybe right now you just want to close your eyes and just be before God and consider everything that we've shared today. Jesus, I thank you for this easy yoke that you promised and that you invited us into. Jesus, I thank you that it is not some impossible and distant dream but it's actually a life that you call us into, that we can walk into today. A life of love, joy, and peace. And I pray for every single person who is watching this today. Jesus, I pray that you would call each one of us to live your lifestyle, to live the way that you lived, to follow your teaching, to dedicate ourselves and our lives to becoming like you in every way, to read the gospel accounts and to hear your teaching and to watch what you did, but also to observe how you lived your life and to model and to copy the details of our life. I thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit that helps us. I thank you that the Holy Spirit comes and breathes new life upon each one of us. And Jesus, I pray that we may be men and women young and old, who take on the rhythms of life that you offer and who walk in life of love, joy, and peace. We pray this, Jesus, that you would be glorified and that our lives would be marked by joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.